If God is able, we are able. Welcome to the podcast from One Cause Church. Good to be with you this morning. Stand to your feet with me as I get this microphone situated here. Uh, we love Pastor Eric and Heather. They are doing a great job. We count them great friends. And um, I shared with the early service that, you know, we're, we're from Seattle, Lisa and I. And uh, in Seattle, the, in the Northwest, charismatic style, spirit-filled, I call them spirit-filled and sane. <laughs> churches would be the normal standard bearers. In other words, that, those are the largest churches. That's what's happening uh, and when we moved down here, we think it's awesome. We, we didn't know there was such a thing called Baptist churches. When we moved down here, we found out there is. Uh, because in the Northwest, they have them, but they're like this big, you know. And you, if you meet a Baptist pastor, you're like, hey, can we help you? Are you in need? You know. And so when we came down here, there seemed to either be Baptist churches or insane churches. Right? And so we believe in spirit-filled, sane, miracle-believing intelligent, uh, uh, awesome power of God, but wise, right? And so, hey, we found one other church. And we said, let's make friends. And we all knew each other, uh, same. And then we started realizing we know all the same people. And, uh, and it's been a great, great blessing. And I kid, but there's a lot of reality to what I'm saying. I believe it's our job to take over this region in Jesus' name. And uh, we're not here to um, uh, do anything but defeat the kingdom of darkness. Yeah. And, uh, and, and we believe synergizing together and connecting together is, uh, is the key to it. And, um, and, and I won't be teaching the same message that I did the early service, so if you weren't there, I don't know if you guys taped the services. Just It wasn't very good, so don't bother to get the tape. I'll just say that right now. Uh, let me pray, and we want to pray for Pastor Eric, and then, um, and then we'll get into the message. Father, thank you for this time. Lord, your pastor, our pastor, is doing amazing things. He's called by you. And in a world full of people that are just appointed to be pastors, we thank you for men that are called. Because they endure, they walk with grace, they walk in authority. And it confuses many in this day and age because there are so many pastors that are just placed. They're pastors according to the flesh and not according to the spirit. So Father, right now we thank you for what we have. We're grateful that we have a pastor and pastors that are called by you, anointed by you. And so it's not surprising to us that sometimes they're called halfway around the world to do amazing things. That's gonna continue to happen decade after decade. But we rejoice in the fact that the fruit that he is experiencing right now, the fruit of the Spirit that is moving through his life to impact another part of the world is fruit that we share in. Because yes. we prayed for him, we've supported him, we believed in the work of God and the grace of God in him, and he's our representative right now. Yes. So continue to do amazing things in and through him. We expect nothing less than your Spirit to move mightily in and through him, in Jesus' mighty name, we pray. Come on, everyone shouted, amen. 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 You can go ahead and be seated. And again, it is a, a pleasure to be with you this morning. I wanted to take some time to develop a simple thought. Uh, the early service was all about 
making sure that no chipmunk stops us on our path. That doesn't make sense to you if you weren't there. But if you were there, that makes a lot of sense to you. (laughs) Oftentimes, we're stopped by very small things that the enemy of our soul puts in front of our path. And they seem ferocious and they seem big, but we have to be kingdom-minded and remind ourselves daily who we are in him. Uh, I was listening to a modern day, and I hope that nobody has said this here because then, you know, I'm correcting them, and then when I leave, just correct me if, if, if I say something wrong. Um, but I was talking to a, a person who was trying to school me about our worship at our church because some of our songs are just absolutely lifting up Jesus, and that's appropriate. And then some of our songs stir us up. So some songs are meant to lift up the Lord. And then some songs are what I call warrior songs or encouraging songs where, where it talks about who we are in him. And so this person said, well, it's not right. Every song should be about Jesus. And I said, well, you know, every song is about Jesus from the sense of this. Sometimes it's just we worship you. You're amazing. You're awesome. We love you. You're incredible. You're glorious. That's good. Sometimes we're saying, and through you, we're going to do amazing things. Right? So songs should stir us up. Why? Because the Bible says to encourage yourself with songs and hymns and spiritual songs, making melody in your heart. In other words, when you're having a tough day, you need to start just going, oh, yeah, I'm going to kick some devil butt. I'm going to do, yeah, come on, don't mess with me. I love the Lord. Come on, come on, come on, come on. You know, however you do it, that's how I do it. Come on, I'm from the 60s, so we do it a little differently. However you do it, I don't know how you do it, but you've got to do something to keep yourself stirred up in your faith. Otherwise, little objects will start becoming big instead of big objects becoming small. So you have to keep yourself encouraged, keep yourself fired up. That's why we come to church. And let me give you three ideas this morning. The first one is that every single one of us have three homes. We're richer than we think we are. This is the thing you have to understand about your Christianity. I know that there's this thing called the prosperity gospel, and I, I heard more about it down here since I came down here than any other place in the world. Uh, uh, in fact, a friend of mine, Joel Olstein, I've ministered at his church, and Joel's got a great church, and, and I consider him a great friend. I've, I, I ran his brother's, uh, brother-in-law's organization, the Significant Church, for a while, and they're great friends of ours. And, and so there are people that don't like Joel. That happens in life. You know, he happens to have the largest church in America. That'll tick a few people off. And, uh, and so somebody told me that Joel was a prosperity preacher. And I went, Joel, we've never been known in any of the ranks I've been around as a prosperity preacher. Because prosperity preachers, I always thought, were guys that just talked about money all the time. And I rarely ever heard Joel talk about money. And he doesn't really take up any offerings on TV. And I thought, this is strange. I'd never heard it till I moved down here. Then I realized there was some denominational jealousy going on, and there were some people mad at him, and what they, now Joel, come on, we all understand Joel is teaches milk, right? Joel admits that. You understand, he started preaching at age 40, and his message is very broad. When you see him on TV, he only does 27 television shows a year, and then they just repeat those, so of course it's milk. I mean, Joel's just like, my daddy always said, you know, I mean, Joel, that's where he's at. He's just trying to get some people saved and, and some lives changed. And, and at their church, they go deeper and deeper. They've got Bible school and classes and all kinds of stuff. But he's on national television, and so he's just keeping it real simple. Yeah. It's called the milk of the word. It's not wrong, it's just milk. Now, you can't survive off milk. So if you just watch Joel repeats on TV and never go to church and get some meat, you're in trouble. Right? You will stay one year old in the Lord for the next 50 years. But, but the idea that he's a prosperity preacher is wrong. What he is is he's trying to be positive and uplifting. 
And somebody said, yeah, but he's always smiling. I, I told him, I said, have you ever tried to always smile? That ain't easy. Okay, joy is a fruit of the Spirit the last time I checked. And I'm sure with what's been said about him, he could have a few other facial characteristics other than smiling going on. He could have a kind of a look. He could be angry, but he's not. He keeps himself encouraged. So I'm not encouraging you to be like Joel. You might not even believe all the stuff Joel believes. I don't. Okay, that's okay. But the fact is, is we have a life to live. And every one of us is wealthier than we think. According to the word, we each have our natural home that we're stewards of. That's where you live and move and have your being. Heather and Eric have their house, and they've got their kids, and they're raising their family there. That is a scriptural thing. The covenant of marriage came before the covenant of church. Before there were ever churches, there were families and marriage. And by the way, I'm from the Northwest, and and now gay marriage is legal in the Northwest, in Washington State, a few other states, uh, uh, and and smoking pot is legal, (laughs) which fulfills the great scripture in Leviticus 19. If a man lies with a man, he should be stoned. (laughs) Not bad, huh? (laughs) But everybody has a house, and you have to take care of your house, and you have to be a steward of your house, and your house should fall under the submission of the kingdom of God. I have a 26-year-old, a 24-year-old. I've got Michaela, who's 26, Caleb, who's 24. Caleb's a worship leader. Michaela also leads worship, but she's involved with Children's Church. I have a 14-year-old, Crawford, all from the same wife. We've been married 30 years. And you might go, 26, 24, 14. I got one word, Cancun. <laughs> Two days before our 15th anniversary, Lisa came to me and said, guess what? I th- and here's what I thought. You bought a car without asking. Without talking to me, you bought a car. That's what I was thinking, exact thoughts. She goes, no, I'm found with child. And I said, I said, because at first I went like this, but then my training said, well, thank you, Jesus. I rejoice in you. And what is this in the scriptures, you know, children are as arrows in the hand. I started just grasping for any scripture I could find. And 14 years later, Crawford's serving God. He loves the Lord. I've raised up a family in a house This serves God. So your house should be an extension of the kingdom of God. Come on, amen? Amen. If your house is jacked up, messed up, it messes things up for us. So stop that. Get in order. Get get your life together. Serve God with your whole heart. Make sure your household is part of the kingdom. That's number one. Number two, every one of you has ownership in the house of God. That's why you shouldn't go to 17 churches. Well, I just like to go here and go there and wherever God leads me. God ain't leading you all over the place. Well, yeah, but I mean, I need to. No, you don't. That's, that's stupid. Come on, be honest. I know some of you, that's offensive to you, but come on. That's like me saying, hey, because I've had people do this to me too. Come into my church and say, you know, the Lord is leading me to get a divorce and marry this other woman. And she happens to be married to a guy in our church as well. But we're going to, we're going to, we just, we're going to do this now. The Holy Spirit's guiding and leading. Okay, that ain't the Holy Spirit. That is, you're, you're stupid. Come on. Come on. Let's just be honest. You can't raise up a family that way. Well, you can't do church that way. And it's a house. So the principles are the same right? 
It has to be unified. It has to be organized. There has to be authority. There has to be mom and dad can't be divided by the kids. Right, because you know in your house, I've raised kids, so I'm not a rookie parent. I've raised them all the way up, all the way up to adulthood, serving God the whole bit. So I know what I'm talking about. Kids are like generals. Four years old and six years old, they have strategies of divide and conquer and mom said and no mom said and dad, no mom, and mom and dad just got to stand together. No, 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 no. No, we're in charge. Have spanking tool, we'll travel. Yeah. Right? Now, you might like, well, that's just, we don't believe in that. That's why you're jacked up and we're not. <laughs> Somebody said, I never, I wouldn't, you know, I never discipline out of anger. I don't either, but sometimes I'm ticked off. <laughs> it's great therapy. <laughs> And then the third house, and everybody has one here. See, you're richer than you think. You have at least two homes, and you have ownership. No, it's God's house. Somebody told me one time, because I said, hey, you know, why don't you come visit my church? He goes, it's God's church. I said, yeah, it's his, and it's mine too. He goes, well, see, that's the problem with you pastors. You think it's yours. I said, no, if you come, you can call it yours too. It's just like my kids ain't never paid a dime of my mortgage, and they call it their house every day. Right? And they'll invite people to our house. We're like, hey, you didn't ask if you could have, well, it's my house. My kids have never asked if they could open up the fridge. Dad, can I have, can I open, can I, no, they steal every snack I ever hide. They find it, they search it. Why? Because it's their house. They ain't paid a dime. They haven't paid no, they haven't paid no money. We welcome you. If you haven't even started tithing yet and you're still in unbelief and all that stuff messes with your head, you can still call this your church. Now, you're, you're still a child, if that's the case. And when you grow up, you start helping us pay the mortgage, right? But until then, you can still call it your church. Am, am I speaking out of turn, right? They can still, this is my church. I go to one cause. I come to my church, visit my church. In fact, if you're not tithing, then invite some people who will. We'd appreciate it. Your third house is your business house. And whether you work at McDonald's or you're the CEO of a company, that's the house you do business in. And you should treat it with the same respect as you treat the house of God and you treat your own house. Right? You, you have to work as on to the Lord. That's what the Bible says. Work as on to the Lord. Because sometimes, man, them jobs are terrible. One of my first jobs I ever had, I was a brand new Christian and uh, during the Jimmy Carter era. And during the Jimmy Carter era, you think it's tough now? You ain't ever been through anything till you. Jimmy Carter era was rough. Okay, I'm sure he was a beautiful Christian man, but it was rough. Okay, homes. I remember the first home I ever bought, 14 percent interest. Okay, so I had this job, and during that time, man, any job was a good job. And I was a young guy. I was 20 years old, just been saved a year. And, uh, and I got a part-time job at Paul's Cheesecake, a bakery. bakery. Bakeries are rough. They're kind of not real, you know, uh, well, I'm, you know, go ahead and enjoy your bakery goods, but you need to understand, it can get, bakeries are pretty dirty. <laughs> and my job was part, of, I was part of the sanitation crew, which means I was a cleanup boy. But it was a pretty good title, sanitation crew. And, uh, and so I, I became a tither. I became a tither. And my tithe was real small. I remember I made $4.92 an hour, and it was a part-time job. 
And I rented my little house for $300 a month. I was out on my own by that time. And uh, I think my total income left me, after I paid for my rent, I had like uh, $50 for gas and about $100 a month for food. And since I had quit selling weed, <laughs> I didn't have much money anymore because I became a Christian. So I found out, you become a Christian, you can't sell weed anymore. Come on, it's just common sense. I wasn't raised in church. I didn't know that. For the first six months of my Christianity, I still, sm I still smoked and sold pot. Some of you might go, you weren't a Christian. No, I was. I was just high all the time. <laughs> and eventually the Holy Spirit, it, while I was praying, said, you, no, you have to stop that. And I said, what do you mean? You have to stop that. God spoke to my heart, told me, this is amazing. Think about it. I mean, this is 30-something years ago. Stop smoking pot. It will kill your Christianity and kill your relationship with me. And this is what I heard. Nobody even told me this because the church didn't know I was still smoking pot. I'd only been saved six months. They didn't know. Right? So I'm sitting there smoking pot, and the Holy Spirit speaks to me while I'm praying because I knew I was supposed to pray. Quit doing that. Do not fill my temple with this drug. And immediately, I didn't even know. I figured the herbs were made by him and they were probably something I was supposed to be doing. I literally had quit drinking alcohol because I read it right in the Bible. You're not supposed to get drunk. So I quit. Still smoking pot, not drinking alcohol. I knew I wasn't supposed to chase girls. Fornication was right there, real obvious. But there's no place where it says don't smoke pot. So I thought, whoo, this is good. But the Holy Spirit spoke to me because why? You're not supposed to get high. By the way, if there's somebody here today, this might be a word for you. We laugh about it, but hey, quit smoking pot. It'll jack you up. The Holy Spirit's trying to speak to you, and you're getting high. And that word that we now use for pharmacy, which is an old ancient Latin and Greek uh, word, pharmaceco, is the actual word they use for witchcraft in the Bible. It's not by chance in cults and weird religions, they get high and see spirits. Do they really see spirits? Yes. Are they of God? I know this is basic. No. Christianity's getting kind of soft these days. You got to give some people some basics now. Come on. It's not supposed to smoke pot, supposed to pray instead. So, you know, I quit smoking pot, I, I got this job, I'm working hard, and there's a big layoff. And there's, I think, 130, 140 employees at the company. I'm the last guy in the totem pole, but here's the good news, they always need somebody to clean. So I make it through the first thing of layoffs. The person who's running the place is, uh, I don't know how to say it, and I don't mean to be offensive. Uh, I'm from Seattle, so we just talk openly about this kind of stuff, but the, the, the gal who was running it, we would have used the term dyke which means she's a lesbian with really short hair taking upon herself's male characteristics. I don't know if you know that stuff. But, but that's what she was. And she would have called herself that. So I'm not putting her down. This is who she was. She was like, yeah. Right? That's who she was. And she's running the whole place. And so she knows I'm a Christian and she knows the whole deal because I'm preaching to everybody. I'm a young, fired-up Christian. And uh, I'm so fired up, I quit smoking pot. And so here I am, I, I need this job, I quit smoking and selling drugs, and I am trusting God, and I was convicted to become a tither. So that means I was giving not just 10%, I gave 15%, because I'm an overachiever. No, that's how I thought. I was good at every sport I played, I'm going to do this Christian thing right. So I gave 15% of money I didn't have. 
And I made the first cut when they were firing everybody, or not firing, but laying off everybody. And now the second cut comes along, she calls me in the office. Total non-Christian. And I'm thinking, man, this is it. Thank you, Jesus, that you let me stay for an extra month. I needed the money. I know you're going to provide. And she said, you know, we've been watching you. And, we, and see, because the cleaning guy goes everywhere, so you can hide. And she said, we've been watching you. I said, ooh. She said, we've noticed that you work when nobody's watching. So I said to her, well, I work as on to the Lord. And she goes, oh, you know, it didn't matter to her. She goes, oh, okay, well, whatever. And I said, yeah, that's, you know, that's what, I, that's what the Bible says. Uh, amen, uh, right? And she, she's like, okay, well, whatever. And she said, well, you know, uh, we've been laying off a lot of people. I said, I know, and I just want, I want to thank you for keeping me on. It's meant so much. And she goes, well, here's what we're going to do, because we've been watching you. See, I'm just a cleanup boy, but I'm treating it like it's my own house. And so I said, she said to me, she goes, uh, we've been watching you, and we've decided that we're going to take you off of part-time. I said, oh, well, thank you. We're going to put you on full-time. I said, really? She goes, also, we're going to make you the foreman of the sanitation crew. And I said, really? We're going to double your pay. We're going to put you on full-time. And if you're good at this, we need a foreman for the warehouse, which doubles your pay again. Within a month, during layoffs, I went from making $4.92 an hour to almost $20 an hour. Why? Because I worked as on to the Lord. Why? Because I don't care if it's my personal home, the house of God, or my house of business. If I'll work as on to the Lord and realize that the same principles that run this house run this house, and the same principles that run this house run this house, then I will flourish. And watch this. Unlike most believers whose houses work against each other, my houses synergize with each other. All right, let me give you some scripture. Uh, turn to Genesis chapter 2 and 3, and uh, I don't know if they, if they I, I should have probably given them some scriptures because most of y'all don't bring Bibles anymore. You're, you have these kind of things, and that means we don't know if you're on Facebook or if you're following us. We don't know what's going on. But, but Genesis chapter 2 and 3, we're going to stay there because I'm going to give you some, I think, some real meat today. So everyone put your spiritual thinking caps on. We're going to go after some meat. We're going to go after some depth. Uh, uh, milk is not enough to survive off of. It's, it's good to help some meat go down every once in a while, but other than that, we got to get strong. This church, we're getting stronger. We've got a lot to do. We've got a region that needs us and needs a move of God and move of the Spirit. Okay, it cannot be business as usual. We cannot just be doing boring church as usual. Not you guys. I'm just talking about the region. We've got to shake some things up a little bit, but we don't get to be the crazy charismatics or the crazy people who are insane, need gold dust flying down from everywhere. We need some stuff that actually sticks, some stuff that works, some stuff that changes our houses, some stuff that synergizes our world together so that we are strong in the Lord and in the power of his might and, and hell itself could show up. I was preaching not too long ago at our church, and I said, you know something, you know, we, we used to sing that old song, you know, shut the door, keep out the devil, shut the door, I don't know, I don't know the rest of the, what is it? Deep down to ten. I said, open up the door, let him in. 
because we are going to kick his butt this service. Oh, he might as well sit. He might as well have a front row seat and watch. See, Christians are so afraid sometimes. They think their job is to stay away from the devil because they're still operating in baby Christianity where they're supposed to stay away from temptation. But there's a time where you step into maturity where you stop running from the devil and you start looking for the devil to beat him down. Why do you think he was put here on earth? See, some Christians are like, why is the devil here? He seems to just hurt so bad and he does. He was put here as his punishment because he was supposed to be beat up by the true owners of planet earth all the days of his life so he would realize that he is under the dominion of God's children. So Adam and Eve were placed here to dominate him and keep him in his place. That's the, that's the Bible, by the way. Right? You've been given authority over him. That, that authority didn't just come. It's always been there. But we're stepping into it, understanding now by the New Testament, because the Holy Spirit is in us, not just on us, that we walk in this thing 24-7, and that we are over him instead of under him. And in the food chain of authority in the kingdom, it goes like this. There's God the Father. He rules. The Trinity, the Father, Son, the Holy Spirit, they rule heaven and earth, and all things are under them. And below God is born-again man. Below born-again man are the angelic powers. Below the angelic powers are the demonic powers. Below the demonic powers are unsaved man. When you get saved, you jump to second place in authority. But because you've been living at this low level, it's easy to forget who you are. Because when you get born again, it's not a religious experience. It is a spiritual phenomena where the Holy Spirit, I like to say it this way, the insides of God come inside of you. Just like you have a spirit, God has a spirit, the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit comes in you. Now what happens is his spirit and your spirit merge together. You become one with God, making you a brand new creation in Christ Jesus, the likes of which has never been seen in the universe. If you were to strip this flesh away, you are not the same as you used to be. You're not even the same creation. You're not even the same kind of spiritual being. You've been recreated. You are now created as a son and daughter of God, in dominion and authority, you are a new creation in Christ Jesus. Old things have passed away. All things have become new. And you might go, yeah, but I'm still struggling with stuff. Ah, you may be struggling with stuff. It's because you still see yourself at your old identity level. But you have done something now that has not just changed you in terms of I don't smoke pot anymore. You now are a person of authority in the kingdom of God, not just for now, but forever. Well, let's walk in it. Let's start acting like who we really are. All right, now, Genesis chapter 2 starts off like this. God creates man and woman in his image. Male and female created he them. In the image of God, he creates them. So both a man and a woman are created in the image of God. Now, we usually use the term, uh, uh, when we talk about God, we talk about him in male form, and that's proper. But God is spirit. 
It isn't until Jesus comes to the earth and is, becomes God manifest in the flesh that we see that male form very obvious. And that's proper. I'm not trying to talk about God being both male and female. He's not. But what it says in Galatians is that in Christ Jesus, there is neither male nor female. Right? That's what it says in Galatians 3. But all are one in Christ because we have to identify ourselves as a spiritual being, even beyond and above, whether we're male or female or black or white. If you don't, you will always be identified according to your flesh, which is the lower level. And if you want to walk in victory, you have to see yourself as a spiritual being. You're a spiritual being that is temporarily putting on an earth suit. Not a natural being that is trying to be spiritual. And there is a big difference. If you're going to walk in authority in your home, and in your home, and in your home, you have to know who you are. So God creates him this way. Now an amazing thing happens. He puts him in this garden. We all know the story. They're in the garden of Eden. Basically, they're in Maui. You know what I mean? It's like 80. They are, they're, man, it's a good life. Think about it. They're just cruising. No clothes, no nothing. Life is good. You know, they're just, they're rocking it out. I mean, come on. If you had the chance to just go get a deserted island somewhere with your wife and, and with your husband, you just got a month off. Somehow you got a month off and, and you're in Fiji on your own island or something. You're just cruising. And you just, ah! Life is good. It's 80. It's perfect. Just picking fruit. Just ah, 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 ah. God sets them up like that. And then he begins, but he wants them to begin to steward the thing. Grow it. Learn how to grow it. Learn how to handle it. Come on, isn't that the Bible? I'm not making this stuff up. They were naked and unashamed, rocking out. Just, whoo. You know, they were just enjoying life. It'd be, come on, it's healthy. They were married. It'd just be like, hey, Eve, girl, come over here. Grab my hand. Whoo. Yeah, this. Look at this. This is ours. This is awesome. Except for one thing. God's interested in more than just your pleasure and your life. So he says this to Adam. I got some stuff for you guys to do. This is how I see you. I see you as capable, Adam, of taking over the whole earth. Think of the pressure. But the, isn't that what he said? I, need, I, just, I know this is awesome. But I want you to take dominion over the whole earth. Okay. And Eve, girl, girl, I want you to fill it. Really? What? Yeah, you want to fill the whole earth. Because God's vision of who they are is so big. His thought of when he thinks of Adam and Eve, who he just created, he's like, you guys, you're going to tear this up. You're going to take over. I told my kids the other day, we're, we're here to take over. They were like, what? I said, take over. You don't know what take over means? <laughs> we're going to take over. Right? Our two churches, hey, let's just make a covenant. Let's just take over the whole city. Amen. Well, what about the other churches? Well, they better watch themselves because we're taking over. <laughs> well, that's wrong. No, it's not. We're not competing with them. We're just taking over. So Adam and Eve are taking over. So they've got a garden, and the garden has boundaries. It's very clear where the garden ends and where the world begins. Because there's no fruit out there. It's barren. And so there's a couple times because they're called to go out. There's a couple times they must have tiptoed to the edge. Check it out. Woo, that doesn't look as good out there. And they've turned around and went back. This is awesome. Till finally one day they got so far away from the starting point of their purpose they found themselves in the middle of the garden. The furthest place away from their launching point. And by the way, when you're not walking in faith 
and accomplishing what God has called you to accomplish, you'll bump into the devil everywhere you go on his terms now. And so the devil starts talking to Eve. Come on, you know the story. Hey, you know, hey, what's up? And most people, they don't quite understand why this is a sin. I mean, if you really think about it, you know, we say, well, they disobeyed God because they ate of the tree. But why is that wrong? There's got to be a reason why. It's not just a hoop. God's not, this is for younger Christians. Let me just give you some good doctrine. God is not into making hoops for us to jump through. Okay, like here's 10 commandments, and the really, this stuff would be really fun normally, like, you know, committing adultery. That's like, you know, obviously it's really fun, but here's a hoop. If you, if you won't do that, then it'll prove to me that you love me more than having fun. That's not what God is doing. That's not a hoop. The reason why he doesn't want you to commit adultery is because adultery is stupid. And it'll jack you up. It won't mess God's life up one bit. God will still be God. He'd be like, man, I am living good. So how's your life now? How is it having two women? One hates you, and now the other hates you, because now you're doing the same thing with that one as you were doing with the other, and now you, half your money's already gone. You're getting set up to get taken. And if you've been through divorce, don't get mad at me. Just sit there and go, yeah, he's right. He's totally right. I know he's right. The reason why it's there is not a hoop. The reason why it's there is for you. God doesn't want you to covet, not because God's all tripped out about coveting. God's got so much stuff, he ain't nervous at all. By the way, God is not nervous about our success either. You get, if you get madly successful in all areas of life, there's never a time where God's going to go, oh my gosh, they have so much. <laughs> he's, not, he's not like worried about you becoming too successful. He's kind of successful himself. His esteem level is in place. I think some people think we worship him because he has low self-esteem. Oh, you're awesome. You're incredible. And God's up there going, oh, I needed that today. I was really losing. No, we worship God because it reminds us of who he is, which then reminds us of who we are. Come on, that's good doctrine, right? I'm not making that stuff up. So Adam and Eve are at the... They're at the tree. They're not supposed to be at the center or the furthest place away, technically speaking, of where they're supposed to be launching out. Where faith is found is out there. They're here. The furthest away from faith they can be. And the sin is that they choose the lesser challenge. Let's just stay here and just enjoy what we have instead of building our house, reaching out to others, expanding because that's hard to do. Let's just protect our little thing, our little world. Let's be in control of our little deal. And so he twists God's word. We know that. The enemy's the twister of God's word. He knows the word better than most Christians know it by far. And so he begins to twist the word, and Eve falls for it. And she's biting of a lesser purpose. She's partaking of a lesser destiny. She is reaching for something that doesn't tap her potential, that doesn't stretch her any longer, that doesn't demand of her, that lowers her, that makes her a different kind of creation. She is born here, and she's going to die spiritually, not naturally, and become here. So Adam and Eve, we know the story. They partake of the fruit, 
And they don't die, do they? They don't die naturally. God said, in the day you eat of it, you'll surely die. Well, they didn't die. So was he lying? No. He was talking about a different death they didn't understand that, that many Christians deal with a lot. I call it the second void. The first void that we experience is we're not born again. We're unsaved, and we give our life to Jesus, and the void is filled with the Holy Spirit. The second void every Christian, if they're not, if they're not understanding, will face is the void of purpose. That's why the house of God is so important. I hear people all the time. I don't know what it is in this day. I mean, I'm cool. I'm, I'm hip. I'm for everybody. I'm into it, man. Rock on with your bad self. But all these people are like, you know, church is, you know, church is not, you're not church. Is, well, I don't believe in church. Church is, the, what about the kingdom? And the kingdom is not the church. And, the, and I'm just going to stay home and watch many in. And I'm going to do this. And I don't believe in pastors. And I don't, it's like, what are you talking about? Who has bewitched you? Having started this race, you're so easily pushed off. I had a guy who I, his dad was in ministry, like a charismatic kind of guy. And then he's now, he was like 30 years old. He was attending our church and he came to me one day. He goes, you know, we're not going to come to church anymore. I said, that's cool. Where are you going to go? We're just going to do church at home. I said, oh, don't do that because it's not church. He goes, no, church is wherever you are. I said, no, it's not. That's a lie. He goes, no, 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 wherever two or three are gathered. I said, That's not, that scripture is not talking about church. It's talking about two or three coming together praying for stuff. We're not talking about staying home from church. Well, you don't need to go to a church building to be, go to a church. I said, well, nobody said that. We're, we're talking about a church that has a pastor, that has elders, that has leaders, that has a vision, that has a, a family corporate view and, and a local church. And he said, well, listen, Kingdom is mentioned 972 billion times in the Bible, and church is only mentioned twice. This is what he said to me. His dad is in ministry, and he's like thinks of himself as this leader and this guy who doesn't need church anymore. He's been saved since he was two. And he said, kingdom's mentioned 472 billion times, and church is mentioned just twice. I, said, I looked at him. I said, you are insane. What do you mean it's mentioned twice? I can mention just two chapters in the book of Revelation where seven of them are mentioned by name. And each one of them, different characteristics, going through different things with a different feel of things they needed to change, of things they were doing good, of things they were admonished for, because they're different. They're local churches, local families. They are a house where people take ownership It's the spiritual house. They have their family house, their spiritual house, and their house of business. And this house is a house. Turn it into something that's not a real house, and you lose. Well, you can't say that. I just did. It is what it is. Jesus said, I will build my house, and the gates of hell will not prevail against it. Look, I have a few notes. The kingdom of God is not the church. And the church is not the kingdom. The only people who believe the kingdom and the church are the same are Catholics. And I love Catholics. I was raised Catholic, which meant I went to church once a year. <laughs> right? We didn't know nothing. And so I'm not down on Catholics. If you're Catholic here, God bless you. Uh, glad to have you here today. Um, but the kingdom of God and the church are not the same thing. That's why pastors are not the pope of the kingdom. That's why a pastor can't say, this is what the word of God says, therefore, because I said it, it's true. No, we have to argue our point, and you have to be good Bereans and study it out. 
because you're responsible for what goes into your soul based on the kingdom. So the kingdom, the Bible says, is God's rule and reign, and the kingdom of God is what's inside of you. Church isn't supposed to be inside of you. Church is supposed to cover you. Two different tasks. The kingdom of God is where you get your gifts, where you get your talents, where you get your callings. Church can't call you. Church can't gift you. Church can't say, you shall now be. No, that has to, we can recognize what we see God doing. We can cover. See, in other words, you can have all the gifts in the world, but if you're not connected to a house, you have no authority to use them. Well, I'm a traveling whatever. Well, then get on down with your bad self, but you're going to travel and burn out and die and, and turn into a heathen pretty soon and be drunk and marry seven different women. You're going to do all that stuff without a covering. Well, I got the kingdom. We know. That's why you're super dangerous to us right now. Hitler was called to preach at age seven. Called to preach at age seven. This is a historical fact. Felt the calling of God at age seven to preach the gospel. And is an, was an incredible. You watch the videos of him. His skills as a communicator, off the charts. You get it. And God, this freaky thing about God, he gives gifts and then doesn't take them back. He just say, hey, I'm trusting. I'm in faith. I'm going to give you gifts. And if you choose to use them poorly, outside of covering, outside of the thing that makes sure that it walks in authority, walks in alignment, where there's respect, where there's accountability, you have power without accountability. It is a dangerous thing. I mean, pretty soon, if you have power without accountability, you'll just be. (laughs) And everybody else will just be. That's That's all it turns into. We've seen that. Come on, haven't we seen that? You get guys running around, and they're anointed, laying hands, and people, wheelchairs coming out, and they're just, woo, go, God, and everyone's like, wow. It don't matter. They can have tattoos all up and down their body, and you undeniably, it's God. You're like, it's God. Yeah, but who's it submitted to? I don't need to submit. I'm the kingdom of God. Okay, fine. That's what it turns into every time. Well, yeah, but your church is going to cramp me down. It's going to hold me back. No, we're not. We're going to allow you to operate in power and authority, and you're not going to kill people. Why? Same thing in our house. I've raised, I have a teenager right now, and I've raised two others through the teenage years. Here's the amazing thing about being 13 or 14. No offense to anybody here is 13 or 14, but at 13 or 14, you virtually, it's a freaky thing. You virtually know everything. And now with computers, you can back it up. Oh, yeah, Dad? Check this out. Google. ba 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 See? See? I knew that. I knew that. I know that. Yeah. I'm 14, Jack. And you're just like, what? So I taught my kids, you know, you can be completely right and completely wrong about being right. And in church, you can be completely right and completely wrong about being right. Why? Because we're talking about a house. Like in business, we have a little phenomena going on. i got to get you guys out of here in just a little bit, so I'm almost done. But we got this amazing phenomena taking place. This is happening in business. I don't know what it is, but in business culture, they're talking about it a lot. When people graduate from college right now, there's some new phenomena where when they graduate, they think they're supposed to be the VP of the company. 
This is a new phenomenon. I don't know what it is. They don't know what it is. They're trying to discover what's going on in our school system. Well, let me tell you what's happening in our colleges. Our colleges have become so entitlement-driven, so liberal, so worldly, so wonderful, visa, whatever. They've just become so non-God. Because, you know, every major university was first founded by churches and by Christians. Yale, Harvard, you name it. It's all, it was all Christians trying to get stronger, trying to educate, trying to grow us. Now it's become secular. So secularism has this tendency to say, me, 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 I, 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 I. And so therefore, when you step out of that world, you wonder why, because you've been told, you wonder why they're not asking you to be the VP of the company at 23. Well, the reason why, and if you're here in 23, I love you, I'm for you. I have a 24-year-old and 26-year-old, so they could tell you I love 24-year-olds and 26-year-olds. But if you are 23 right now and you think you're supposed to be the VP of the company, no offense, you got to shave before you can be the VP of a company. <laughs> you got to be able to grow hair, not just here, but maybe some here and here too. It's not that there's a reason why you have to be over 35 to be the president of the United States, and, we ne- and a young one is 50. Because we don't need a 23-year-old as the president of the United States. No offense, you're an awesome 23-year-old, but a 23-year-old is the president of the United States of America. We all know that ain't going to work. Why? Because you can be completely right and completely wrong about being right. I'll finish with this simple idea because Jesus handled this equation. There's a prostitute that's brought to him. Very devastating situation. He's sitting down. And the Bible describes it as him just relaxing and he's kind of drawing some stuff in the sand. And, uh, and somehow some guys find a prostitute, which begs the question, how'd they know where she lived? But they found her. And because uh, I don't know where any lived, do you? Right? I don't know. I don't know. Right? So, but they knew. A bunch of them knew. So they bring her over, and Jesus is there, and there's a crowd forming, and they say, they're trying to mess with him, you know, trying to get him to be, a, you know, because he's been getting to be known as a guy who forgives and loves people. And so they say, well, she was found committing adultery. Uh, which also begs the question, so where's the dude? They found her. And my argument is, he's there, maybe leading the charge. But either way, Jesus is chilling out. He's just kind of being, thinking about other stuff, and they're talking to him. And and he said to her, hmm, I have an adulteress on my hands. This This is tough. This is not good. Her life is unhealthy. But he's also got a bunch of other guys. And there's a bunch of men gathered around. And they say, the law says she should be stoned. Then Jesus says the famous words, well, he who's without sin, come on, say it with me, cast the first stone. Very important for this house or any house. He's talking house language. We've got to get along. We've got to work with each other. We've got to forgive each other. So the Bible says this, which to me is awesome. Most people don't catch this. It, it says the old guys left first. Because I'm an older guy now, being in my 50s. I, I, with older guys, their computers start racking up. Oh, yeah, yeah, that's right. Oh, oh, ah, ooh, ooh, ooh. Let me drop my stone. I'm out. Which left the youngest guys there till the end. 
rigid, correct, right, rock in hand. In their mind, truth was at stake. When in reality, you can still keep your root system. That's what good churches do. And you can still bend a little bit. Everything doesn't have to be perfect for us to all get along. We, we could all give ourselves a little space and a little relaxation, but without having to leave and get angry and yell and scream and go cause problems and, you know, whatever. What are we doing? We are making sure that the house, in any level, that the house is always more important than our own individual positions. And, and I want to just encourage you just with two things, and then I'll, I'll stop. Because... The men folk, right around 12 o'clock, get real hungry. <laughs> and I respect that. Ladies would be like, preach it, just keep preaching. Men are like, hey, girl. It's prime rib special down the street. You need to back off. But two things. Number one, remember this is a house. So when you come here, you get to both own it, and you're either an owner or a visitor in a house. If you're a visitor, ask permission to get into the fridge. If you're an owner, open up the fridge proudly. We invite everybody to be owners, because every child of God deserves and has the right and has the responsibility of being part of managing a spiritual house. So here's how life really works. This is how it really works. If you want to be happy, uh, live a great life, uh, uh, please God, and be satisfied in your soul. The wise man and woman understand that building a great family, although difficult, and at times people want to bail on that, and there are currently in America, for the first time in the history of our country, more unmarried women than married women. It's the first time ever. That's why we have a tendency to vote a certain way politically because many women are voting for the husband who will take care of them because they don't have one. So it just changes the whole demographic of life. But this is the first time in the history of our nation. There's more unmarried women than married women. So if we, and people don't want to have kids anymore. Seattle's the second most childless city in the nation right behind San Francisco. Why? Because kids are a bummer. <laughs> right? If you look at it, the wrong way. If you don't understand, you're put here on this planet to, to bear children, to raise them up to know God, and to one day inhabit heaven, and that you have a responsibility. And that ultimately, if you have children and you do it well, it becomes the greatest joy. But there are many moments where you're like, oh God, this is brutal. Right? So that's why. So because it's all about self, people stop doing this. When they stop doing this, we shouldn't think it a strange thing that in their consciousness, they stop understanding this. They don't even know how to do this anymore. Why? Because there's an attack of the enemy on that. Why? Because that is the thing in the natural. Just like we needed a Savior to show up to planet Earth in the flesh to give us an idea of spiritually what, how, what the kingdom was about because it's hard to see. So God shows himself in the flesh, manifested in the flesh, so that we now know what the kingdom is really all about. Yes. Otherwise, we'll turn kingdom into religion and goofy stuff because it's just man. So Jesus shows up. Well, family was created first on purpose so we could see clearly what this is supposed to be. 
Now this is supposed to show us how to do this. Business should be an extension of your relationship with the house of God. Every person should see themselves as doing that to build this and that. And if you don't, like, for example, you don't believe in tithing and all that stuff. Hey, we love you. We're, we're in a new world. We can't make people tithe. I mean, there's, in the Bible, it doesn't say we can threaten you with anything if you don't. <laughs> right? I, you know, I know some people do the Malachi 3, you know, you'll be cursed or whatever. I, I don't think, I know Eric and, and Heather don't, and we don't do that. We don't threaten anybody. If you tithe, you're going to die if you don't tithe. You know, we don't do that kind of stuff. No, we, we try to be real positive. Pastor came up here earlier. He was real positive. Say, we're so grateful. and We're trying to be positive about it. Uh, why? Because we can't threaten you. Now, trust me, if we scripturally could, we would. <laughs> right? I mean, if you don't tithe, well, I can show you seven scriptures, you will burn in hell in the lake of fire. <laughs> it would be awesome. I prayed for God to show me those scriptures. There's just none to be found. I just, I uh, wish I could, but because I'd send you to hell in a heartbeat. If, <laughs> Because so few people tithe anymore because they don't get it because they think the church is after their money. Well, of course we're after your money. What, what, why have we got so plenty? Yeah, we're after your money. Duh, that's why we take up offerings. Well, were you just after my money? Yes. Well, you just want to use me? Yes. Well, you're just trying to take my time? Yes. Well, you just want me to be so committed here that it's just all about here? No, just semi about here, but we also want you to be about here and here. Yes. But yes, yes, and yes. <laughs> well, who do you think you are? Well, we are the house of the living God. Amen. And you try to live without us. Yeah. You think you're some, well, we just go to church at Starbucks. You try it for a while. You see how that works. Many have, many have died. You can just you can play spiritual gymnastics all you want, but at the end of the day, Jesus said, I will establish my church and the gates of hell won't prevail against her. So if you find yourself fighting against church, you become part of the gates of hell. You want to fight against the church, you're stupid. Simple as that. One of my old mentors said this, and I'll finish with this. He said, Mike, there's three things you need to learn and, and walk in to be happy. Fall in love with God's word. That's number one. Fall in love with God's people. Why? Because it ain't always easy to, easy to love, so fall in love with them. And fall in love with God's house. And your life will do well. You'll establish three houses. They'll synergize together. They'll prosper each other. And we'll rise up and win. Amen? Uh, stand to your feet with me. Let me pray, and then I think they're going to do communion real quick, or did I go too long? All right, all right. Let me pray for you, and then we'll get you out of here in just a little bit. Father, thank you for this time. We love you so much. We thank you for this house. I know some of the things I said were bold, but, but they're just true, Lord. We're here to build your house. And we thank you that if we establish your house, you'll establish ours forever. That's what, that's what your word says. That's what King David bragged on. So, Lord, we're here. We're, we're all about your house, unapologetically. But also, Lord, we're about people's natural homes, and we're about their business because that's a house as well. And we respect all three houses. We're stewards in all three houses. Give us wisdom and show us and teach us how to bring those houses together so that they're not fighting against each other. A double-minded person is unstable in all their ways. We want to be single-minded, Lord. And we thank you right now for our pastors. 
for Eric and Heather as they, as they do what, what must be called to do, which is build your house. There'll come a time in the history of the universe where there is no more church, where there's only the kingdom. When this earth passes and we're with you forever, there'll be no need for the church. But while there's an earth, you've established your church so that the gates of hell will not prevail. The authorities of hell have no power. And any nation that's ever tried to push the church out has collapsed economically and collapsed morally. We have a case study from the Soviet Union to China to North Korea. Every nation that pushes out the house of God or tries to turn it into a state religion and take authority over her fails economically because it impacts that house and families fall apart because it impacts that house. Thank you, you positioned this house right in the middle as a central theme of our lives. We take it very seriously. And we thank you for her, the church. For she is your bride. She is your bride. That's what you think of her. In Jesus' mighty name. Come on, if you believe that, give the Lord a hand clap this morning. Thank you for allowing me to be, in, to be with you. Well, as the gentleman come around passing communion, I want to take just a moment, if we can. We've heard such a powerful word today. There really is a truth to it. No matter how it's betrayed, no matter how it's brought across, the, the truth is that the Word of God is true, and it is power and life to our being. And if you're here today and you say, Pastor Brandon, I just, I, I, I'm not sure of how things are in my own house, but I know that I need some help. I know that I want to do better, and I know that, that there are some things that need changing. If that's you, there's no shame in that. We want to say prayer for you. We want to pray with you. We're standing with you. We are the house of the living God, and we are in this thing together. And you are in a place right now where the blood flows for things like that to keep life moving back and forth. We want to say a prayer with you right now. So if that's you, I don't want you to do anything special. Let's just pray together. Father, thank you for all those in this house today, God. Thank you for new revelation coming to us, Lord, about the house of the living God, about our house and our business house, God, and all these things, Lord, that you have designed us to walk in, to dominate, to overcome in, Lord, to be an example in, Lord. Thank you that you have made this house an example to believers, Father, and I thank you, Lord, for the people in it. God, may their lives be filled with joy. Thank you that you are straightening out crooked places right now in Jesus' name, that you are unkinking where the, the circulation has not been and allowing the blood to flow, flow freely, Lord. Thank you for changing hearts and mind, that metanoia, that the changing of mind, that repentance is taking place right now concerning the house. I thank you for that, Father. Thank you for blessing them in all that they do, Lord. May they always prosper. May they always be in health as your word says that you desire for our life, God. In Jesus' name, amen. Now, I want you today, I want you to take this bread. The Bible says that I received of the Lord, Paul writes, that which also I delivered unto you, that our Lord Jesus, on the same night that he was betrayed, took bread, proving to us on the same night that all this was coming against him, that he was still faithful, that your 
covenant with him is not based on how good you are or your actions or what you can do, but it's based on his goodness. And his goodness is in existence even when we fail to believe it. He's still going to be good. He said, after he had taken the bread, he blessed it and broke it and said, take and eat. This is my body, which is broken for you. Father, we thank you for your body. Thank you that it was broken for us, Lord, so that our body could be made perfectly whole. In Jesus' name. It says, likewise, also in the same manner, he took the cup. And when he had blessed it, he said, take and drink ye all of it. For this cup is the new covenant in my blood. This do ye as often as ye drink in remembrance of me. Father, we thank you for your blood and your body, Lord. We thank you for what it does for us in our life, in our body. We thank you. We remember you, God. We remember you, Jesus, for what you have done for us, Lord, and we thank you for blessing this house now in the name of Jesus. We thank you for this word that has come to us today, Lord. Your word says that how good and how pleasant it is for brethren to dwell together in unity. It is like the oil that was poured on Aaron's head and ran down to his beard. Lord, the anointing flows in unity, and we thank you for that, God. Thank you for, for V-Life Church, God. Thank you for this church across town, Lord, who has partnered with us. And we thank you, Father, for blessing every work of their hand. Bless Pastor Mike and Miss Lisa, Lord, and all their family, all the days of their life, Lord. We thank you for newfound resources, Lord, in this city. We thank you for blessing beyond measure, Lord. We thank you for great favor being upon them, Lord. Your favor that is for life, Lord. Your favor that opens doors that no man can shut. We thank you for a fresh purpose, Lord, fresh understanding, Lord, new revelation, the power and the anointing flowing through them and that house in the name of Jesus. We thank you for all things that you have done for us in Jesus' name. This is what the, the Holy Spirit just gave me on the front row. With unity, all things are possible. Even the unbelievers in Genesis 11 were able to build a tower that even God said could reach heaven. And because it was out of his will, he had to destroy it. And he gave them an amazing gift. He gave them the gift of tongues. They began to speak in other languages. They couldn't even understand each other. And then in Acts chapter 2, he reverses the curse. And a new spiritual language is given that creates unity in the house of God. And what the Lord spoke to me, it was for me. So this isn't really for you, but I thought this is something he wanted me to share. I just heard it so clearly. Mike, you can trust, and trust is such a rare commodity. You can trust this church. You can trust these pastors. And so I submit to you that if God would speak to a pastor about trusting your pastors. And we all know there's competition sometimes in the body of Christ. We're not children here. We can say that out loud, where it's not always done in integrity. So if the Holy Spirit saw fit to say, trust them, Mike, trust them. You can trust. You've been hurt before. That's how life is, but you can trust. I present to you that every person in this house can trust these great pastors. They're trustworthy. 
In Jesus' name. Thank you for listening to our podcast. We want to invite you to join us in service Sundays at 9.30 or 11 a.m. and Wednesdays at 7 p.m. Go to onecausechurch.com for location and events. You can also like us on Facebook and follow us on Twitter at One Cause Church. If you would like to partner with our ministry, you can now donate securely online. Just click on the link located on the front page of our website at onecausechurch.com.